Amen. Edwin Cooper was a famous American. Yet, I bet you've never even heard of his name. Edwin grew up in a family of circus clowns. At just the age of nine, he began performing before audiences. After a stint with Barnum and Bailey Circus, he became a fixture in movies and records and had multiple television appearances as the original Bozo the Clown. He had a wonderful ability to make people laugh. Typically, though, he would finish all of his appearances with a seemingly serious message. He would say, get checked for cancer. The sad tragedy was that he was so busy warning everyone else that he neglected to check himself. At just 41 years old, Edwin Cooper died of cancer. Little did he know the disease he warned others of lie in his own body. Such is the case of many who die in their sins. They want others to know of the evils of this world and fail to see that the same disease that lies within those people abides within them. It is what the Bible calls the deceitfulness of sin. And like Edwin Cooper, people in relation to their sin don't see any massive growths, any spiritual tumors, so to speak, and think they are okay. But they, being distracted by the business of life, fail to go to the only physician that can heal them from the curse of sin. And here in John chapter 8, we are a group of people just like Edwin Cooper. The Jews. Ones who made it their job to warn others of sin, but were so infected with its disease within them that they were in danger of being separated from God forever. Religious, yes, they were, but dead in their trespasses and sins, totally alienated from the eternal life only God could give them. A couple of weeks ago, we discussed our Lord's great I am statement in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. And there our Lord gave instructions for how men could come to know the light of life. He who follows me will no longer walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Spiritual life, eternal life, abundant life. But you know, those statements, as gracious as they were, only made his hearers angry. That's what we saw. They wanted to seize him, it says, just in the verse previous to the one I read this morning. And here our Lord changes his tact, though. 
It is no longer, in a sense, an offering of of grace. They would not respond to an offering of grace, so he goes the tact of, well, let me warn you of the judgment you are under. You know, sometimes, and most of the time, God tries to draw men to Himself through His goodness and His love. But because of the hardness of heart within each of us, due to sin, He has to go a different tact. He has to go a different route. He has to warn us of the certain judgment we are under. And here is what Christ has done in these verses here. I've called this message, The Light's Judgment. The Light's Judgment. Because here in these verses, Jesus Christ moves from loving offerings of grace that they refuse to respond to, to serious warnings of judgment. That if they do not believe on Him, He's going to say, they will die in their sins. Notice our first point this morning regarding the light's judgment. Number one, it is the charge of guilt. I want you to think of this section of Scripture as a judge bringing charges against sinners. Here Jesus begins bringing charges against these Jews in the temple. Verse 21 reads, read it with me again. It says, Then He said again to them, I go away and you will seek Me and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Now, here our Lord enters into this new dialogue with these hearers, these Jews, and He emphasizes the darkness that lies within them. And He reveals four, that's what we're going to see here, spiritual judgments that are upon these Jews in light of their sins. Notice first, the charge of guilt is seen in this subpoint is seen in the withdrawal of His presence. Notice what He says there. I go away, and you will seek Me. These Jews, as you know, from John chapter 7, were intent on driving the Lord Jesus away from them. Whether that meant banishing Him in prison, or as we saw at the beginning of John chapter 7, they wanted to kill Him. In fact, they would do anything and everything they could to hinder and slander His ministry. And their intention intention was to permanently remove Jesus' presence from them all. Here was the most loving, gracious, merciful, honest person they would ever encounter. One who came to grant them eternal life, to show them eternal love. Yet, like Jesus said, this is the judgment. That the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. And here we notice one of the spiritual judgments of those who hate the light. 
the light leaves them of his own accord. Look what he says there. I go away. How terrible a judgment it was for the Jews that the Son of God would remove himself from their presence forever. Even as Christ left, these Jews, after his death and resurrection, would still have their worship services. They would still sing their songs. They would still read God's law. They would still teach the Scriptures. But at the end of it all, all of it would be cold, dead religion. Lifeless. Because the one who gives life was not present. To remove Christ from one's life and to forbid Him in your life is to remove life itself from you. The experience of life. It's pleasantness. It's peace. It's purpose. Listen, church. It is a dreadful day when someone insists upon their own way and wanting nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Because a time will come when what you insist upon, you shall receive. I wonder this morning, are you frustrating the grace of God to you? He says, I go away. As a young boy, I remember I did just that. I would often get caught in my sins. That's how it is for a child whose father is always praying for him. Lord, don't let him get away with his sin. And I want to tell you, there were so many times I used to shake my fist at God as a young boy and say, I want nothing to do with you. I want to live my own life my own way, and you keep trying to bring your authority into the picture. But I'm so thankful by the mercy of God. By the mercy of God, He didn't leave me to my own devices. I want to tell you, if you continue to refuse the grace of God, there may come a day where He says to you, I go away. Number two. This secondly, notice the charge of guilt is seen in their wanting of another. I go away and you will seek me. Here our Lord tells these Jews of a time, they will seek Him. Not Jesus Himself, but listen carefully, a figment of their own imagination of what the Messiah should be. Even today, this is one of the spiritual judgments that remain upon the Jews. They are seeking, in essence, another Jesus than the one in the Bible. Another Messiah, and such is the case of many today. They form a Jesus of their own imagination. One who has not near the demands of the one of the Bible. One who doesn't demand holiness and righteousness and truth and repentance and faith. And so they develop this Jesus in their own minds. 
And they seek this Jesus in their own minds. They go after Him, one who gives them every selfish and carnal desire that they have. He is their spiritual genie in a sense. They go after Jesus, but you know what? Just like these Jews, they die in their sins. Hmm. What a judgment that must have been as he said that. You will seek me. I was thinking of this as I've seen on social media so many different times. There's a certain crowd of people who seek Jesus for a season. You know that? Not just the Jesus they want, but they'll seek the Jesus of the Bible for a season. Uh, But it is with a divided heart. And only those who seek Jesus with their whole heart, it says, will find Him. Amen? A divided heart will never allow a person to find the Lord Jesus in faith. I have known people who have come upon personal afflictions and they'll post things on social media about their own cancer or their own sickness, their own loss of job or financial trouble or family challenge. And under the immediate pressure of that situation, they will be people of prayer. They'll ask for prayer. They'll exhibit strong spiritual feelings until they find relief from that situation. And then you know what they do? They quit seeking the Lord. They seek them on their own terms. And I just want to tell you, if you seek the Lord Jesus on your own terms, you'll never find Him. And you too, like these ones, will die in your sins. Mm. But then also Jesus says something else. That there are those who seek me, who seek me when the Lord can no longer be found. You see, they will seek Him in a sense, but He's going to make clear that it will be too late when you seek me. Do you know that the opportunities that God gives you as He speaks to you through His Word, through the preaching of the Word, through the teaching of the Word, you will never get back again. Opportunities where the Holy Spirit was drawing you, speaking to you, moving in you, and you resisted Him. Just like these Jews did with Jesus. He continually spoke the truth over and over and over and over. And then there came a time when... He could no longer be found. He had died and He had resurrected and He had ascended and their time of seeking was past. It is a terrible thing to think of people who continually reject the Lord Jesus Christ, who are unwilling to submit to His authority in faith through Him and guess what? He quits speaking To them, I go away, and you will seek me, but you will not find me. In essence, do you know your time and life are limited? Your opportunities with the Lord Jesus Christ and His call to you for you to respond 
to eternal life in Him are limited because every time you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, your heart gets a little harder. And the same wooing of the Holy Spirit gets a little softer, a little quieter. And yes, you can still hear the truth, but the truth no longer affects you. Because the time when you could find Christ is over. Number three, notice the charge of guilt is seen in their willful sinning. I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Jesus is telling these Jews that their dying in sin was a willful choice of their own. Now that is amazing. The word sin here is used in the singular, which I believe speaks of the great sin of humanity. You know what the great sin of humanity is? It's unbelief in Christ. He's about to say it. Unless you believe I am He. He's going to say, did you know that unbelief in Christ is the most damning and destructive of sins a human being can commit? Because unbelief is the sin that undams the fountain of all other sins in your life. Your unbelief leads to every other sin that proceeds from that unbelief. Jesus' words here to these Jews were quite significant. He says, you will die in your sins. And this was an Old Testament expression. This is something that they would have recognized. It pointed these Jews to a horror which they were quite aware of. They knew to die in your sins was a terrible, terrible proposition. Because a Jew knew to have one sin not atoned for by sacrifice, was a supreme disaster. They knew the need of atoning for the sins that they had committed. God had put in place the ceremonial law and how to do all of that. And so when Jesus said, you're going to die in your sins, they should have been quite disturbed by it. In fact, that's why I believe the Lord even brought it up. Three times in this passage. He meant to perplex them. To move them out of their state of comfort. Do you know why men preach against sin? And men preach uh, according to what is coming in relation to the judgment against sin? It's to move people out of their comfortability. To see their need for Jesus Christ. So glad. That this church for many years, from Pastor Cook to Pastor Jonah, preached about the judgment of God. The consequence of sin. It's not to damn you or to condemn you or to accuse you. It is to show you your desperate need to respond to Jesus Christ in faith. Because unbelief does damn a man to hell forever. It is like the man who goes to the doctor. He's told he has a terminal 
disease. And he's given the right diagnosis and prescribed the right medicine. And the man totally ignores it all. And that's what these ones did here. Three times you will die in your sins. And notice they never responded to that. They always brought up something else he said in that statement. Because this is the challenge of the human heart. The human heart focuses on everything else but one's individual sin. It'll point to other people's sin. It'll point to the evils of this world. It'll point to the wrong uh, doctrine that is believed in the church. It'll it'll point to the, the evils of society. But it won't say, I'm in need of a Savior. That is the great judgment. Spiritual judgment that lied upon the Jews and it lies upon all those who refuse to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Number four, the charge of guilt is seen in where they are excluded. Jesus said, where I am going, you cannot come. Here these Jews' guilt is seen in the consequences of sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Do you know the consequence of sin is eternal separation from God? Notice the text, it's not you shall not come, it is you cannot come. It is impossible to give heaven to those who want to stay in their sins. The holiness of God forbids it. Light cannot dwell with darkness. Corruption cannot dwell with purity. That's what Jesus is saying. Where I'm going back to the Father, you cannot come. For what fellowship does light have with darkness? It makes my heart hurt. But the Son of God did it. He said more about hell than He said about heaven. To get to move the heart of people to see what's really before them unless they are moved to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the most horrifying Verses in all the Scripture. To me, it's Deuteronomy 7.10. This is what the Lord spoke in the law. But to those who hate Him, speaking of God, He repays to their faces with destruction. You see, the judge of all the earth was speaking about the judgment that is to come because of man and his sin. And it says in that day of judgment, every mouth will be stopped. There will be no more talking with the Lord. 
There will be no more seeking to make an appeal to the Lord Jesus Christ. Men will, in that day, stand before the lion of the tribe of Judah. He came as a lamb, gracious and merciful, kind, offering life, revealing love. But there is coming a day that Christ is saying that there are guilty charges against all you Jews. And in that day where I'm going, you cannot come. And you will seek me. You'll want to be there. But at that day, there will be no more pretending with your religion. It will all be about, do you have a relationship with me? That's what... It boils down to as the light's judgment. But secondly, notice something even worse than the charge of guilt. Their callousness to guilt. Their callousness to the guilt. The callousness of them to the guilt that they were under. In light of the great charges of guilt, we notice how callous their hearts were to it. Look at verse 22. So the Jews were saying, Surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am Him, you will die in your sins. So they were saying to Him, Who are you? Again, they ignored it. Jesus said to them, What have I been saying from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but He who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from Him, these I speak to the world. They did not realize that He had been speaking to them about the Father. Here we see in light of the charges of guilt, we notice that these Jews both ignore and miss the most vital and eternally significant information he had just said. The fact that they will die in their sins, separated from God. And notice their response. Surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says where I am going, you cannot come. Notice how they were so callous to the fact that they were guilty of being sinners before a holy God. And notice the first thing about callousness here. Number one, callousness is seen in their scorn of the Savior. They mock our Lord's words in verse 21. It says here, surely he will not kill himself, will he? In light of him saying he would leave them. This was their answer to him saying that he would leave them. It was a statement full of scorn. Now on the surface we don't really understand the the mockery that these Jews were saying to him. But to the Jews suicide was abhorred. And considered the act of an insane person. And they questioned they they wanted to ask, was intended to slander him. Are you saying we cannot go where where you are going? He must be killing himself, calling us sinners, when he himself is going to commit really the darkest of sins, suicide. 
And that's what the Jews believe. It brought men to the darkest of places in the next life. I want you to see unbelief in Christ leads to callousness toward Christ. And eventually you become one who scorns Christ. You become a mocker. Like these ones here. Secondly, their callousness to guilt is seen in their separate origins. Jesus said, you are from below, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore, let me tell you again, you're going to die in your sins. Now one of the reasons that people are callous, one of the reasons that Jews are callous to their own guilt before God is because God and man comes from two different antagonistic realities. The world and heaven. Do you know the world and heaven are directly oppositional to each other? These two realities, between the two, there is this great abyss, as I like to call it. Because the world abides by different principles than heaven. The world has different authorities in it that govern it than heaven. Jesus says to them, the reason you don't understand the significance of your spiritual problem is you are taken up with a reality that is taken up with this world and its ideals. In other words, callousness toward our guilt results from our nature we are born into. The reason so many of us don't see and sense the guilt that we are under is because we are of this world. We are earthly. And so we have the ideology of the world born into us. And guess what? We're under the governing authority of the world. That is the devil. Jesus is about to tell the most religious people of his day, your father is the devil. Whoa. What do you mean? Oh, my father is God. No, if you were born into this world, you're under the principles of this world, and you're under the governing authority of this world. The prince of the, uh, it's called the prince of darkness. Who has control of this world. And that's why it is so necessary for you to be born again. For you to be born, this is how it's termed, from above. Because Jesus is from above. If you're born into this earth, born into this world, born into the principles of this world, there must be a new birth. And it is only... By faith in Jesus Christ. But thirdly, their callousness to guilt is seen in their missing salvation. Verse 24, Therefore I said to you, you will die in your sins, for unless you believe, I am He, you will die in your sins. You know, it's amazing how blind the Jews were and how blind 
we are in our day, growing up in the religious environments that we find ourselves in due to America's foundations. That we're so blind that righteousness comes by faith. I just want to tell you young people, I'm going to move past this point very quickly. Going to church will not save you. Reading your Bible will not save you. Saying your prayers will not save you. Faith in Christ saves you. That only. Anything more than that is works-based salvation. And that's what the Jew thought. And Paul had to address it in the book of Galatians. He goes on to say, By the works of the law shall no flesh, that means no person, no matter how good they are, be justified. Can't be declared righteous. Doing good deeds, living a moral life will not save us. Faith in Christ is the only way we can mediate this hostility between us and a holy God. God's Son is the mediator. He stands between us and the holy God. And He stands there on our behalf when we put our trust in Him, claiming us as His own. I bore His sin, Father. I bore it. The penalty of that sin. Finally, callousness to guilt is seen in their missing the Son. Jesus says in verse 24, Unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. In the Greek, it is the words ego imai. I am. I am. He just said, I am the light of the world. So they asked in, in return in verse 25, look what they said. Who are you? Because he just says, I am. He doesn't say, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. He had done that previously. So they're saying, who, who are you here? And look what he says. What have I been saying to you from the beginning what Jesus is referring to is the I am. I am that I am. And what he is saying to these Jews is I'm the same one who's been revealing himself to humanity from the beginning. From creation. From the origin of life. I've been communicating to you Jews through the Old Testament. That I and the Father are one. Let us, it's in the very beginning, let us make man in our image. Plural. And yet the Lord is one. The Trinitarian God. Saying, I've, I've been telling you that I am God's servant. God's Son, God's Mediator. And unless you believe I'm that, 
you'll die in your sins. I want to just say, sometimes we as Christians put such an emphasis on the trust of a person as all that faith is. But faith has a certain intellectual understanding of it. Do you know that? Faith comes from a right knowledge of who we are trusting. Our faith required in Jesus Christ means I must have the very highest estimate of Jesus Christ. It's not enough just to put my personal trust in a person I do not know. He's saying, unless you believe I am He, the one from the beginning, the one who created the earth, the one who was with God and the Word who who was God. Remember, that's how He began the whole Gospel of John. In the beginning, and He's like going back, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. So we see... Faith required in Jesus Christ means I have the very highest estimate of Jesus Christ. And part of their callousness in regards to their guilt is this fact. People don't really see Jesus Christ as everything the Father is. He is the reflection of the Father. He has explained Him. He was in the bosom of the Father. It is the the Son reveals exactly what the Father is like. And He represents the Father on this earth when He came. These Jews were so callous from seeing Jesus In that light, and so many are today, they humanize the Lord, they demonize the Lord, they philosophize the Lord, and I want to tell you they remain in their sins. Because the Jesus they believe in cannot save them. Only God can save them. Only God's Son can save them. Then finally, I get to our last point. We have the charge of guilt, their callousness to guilt, and then we have the consciousness of their guilt. Do you know that they will become conscious of their guilt? And Jesus tells them right here how people become conscious of their guilt before God. Verse 28 says, So Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And He who sent me, He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. Here our Lord tells us how these Jews will come to know of their guilt as sinner under God's wrath. Jesus says, look at this, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know I am He. Notice first, this first point, the cross is the proof of their guilt. It's the proof of all of our guilt. 
These Jews were unconscious. They were callous to their sinfulness before God. But at the cross, when they lift up the Son of Man, notice that term, the glorious, magnificent, majestic one spoken of in the son of da- uh, in, in the book of Daniel. The glorious one. When they lift up such a glorious being at the cross, they will realize there is a revelatory aspect to the cross that when people see and view the cross and they view the whole circumstances of what took place at the cross, they become aware that what they have done is crucify the Son of God. Let me give you some validations of that. Do you know creation revealed how awful the injustice of crucifying Jesus was at the cross? It says that the sky became black for three hours as God's Son hung on the cross. It says an earthquake happened and the rocks split at the death of God's Son. You know, at the cross, the centurion who watched the whole thing, who was at Jesus' feet, witnessing all that had transpired. He heard all the abuses. He heard Jesus cry out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He saw the darkness. He witnessed the earthquake. And what did He say? Surely, this is the Son of God. Because the cross reveals Christ. Then the crowds, they were there, they yelled, Crucify Him! Come down and save yourself. But as He breathed His last breath, it says that they walked away beating their breasts, knowing the guilt that they were under. Because the cross reveals the guilt. The proof of their guilt and ours. Then there's the criminal. The cross revealed to the criminal. As he hurled abuse, both of them to the left and to the right of the Lord Jesus Christ, one of them finally came to his senses by the work of the Holy Spirit. And he said to that other thief, we are justly being punished, but he is unjustly being punished. Jesus, What light He got at the cross. Remember me when you come into paradise. Are you callous this morning? The charge of guilt goes out on us all. Look at the cross. Honestly, the cross proves we are all Guilty of our sin against God. But second, the cross proves the guilty provides the guilty. Good news. Hallelujah. It is at the cross that not only proves Jesus' identity as God's Son, but also relates to us this message. I'm finishing. Listen carefully. The judge of all the earth 
received upon himself the guilt of the defendant's charges. That's amazing. The judge, the one who had the right to condemn, said, I'll take it all on me. That's the good news of the cross. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become in Him the righteousness of God. Because the judge took the guilt of the defendant. So that the blood of Christ could Forgive us and grant us a restored, glorious relationship with God forever. That's the good news. The cross is good news. It's the glory of God. That's what the picture is. When the Son of Man is lifted up, you have this dual meaning in John. Because there was such humiliation, such shame as He's lifted up. But there's this other behind-the-scenes work. People are seeing such love in the judge bearing the shame and humiliation and penalty that we deserved. That is the good news of the cross. I like what Romans 5 Verse 7 says, For one will hardly die for a righteous man. Though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love. Notice, take note of that. His own love. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, the cross. Do you see it? Do you see it? No, I'm not asking you, have you heard it? Do you see it? In the depths of your being. And then finally, the cross proves the relationship within the Godhead. The one who sent me is with me, and he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. The cross confirms that everything Jesus did on this earth was to fulfill the mission of his Father. Jesus never did anything of his own initiative. His whole purpose was to represent and reflect the Father on this earth. And he's telling the Jews, you think I'm out here to get my own glory, but I'm here. For you to bear your guilt, to fulfill the mission that the Father has given me. And guess what? He has not left me alone. Yes, I'm going away. Yes, you, you will crucify me. But my Father will be there all along. Because He loves me. He loves me. And yet at the cross, even the Father, had to turn his face away from his son. When Jesus cried to his father, Why hast thou forsaken me? I tell you why. 
to fulfill the mission of God, which is to show you this morning that's how much you mean to God that He would do that to His Son. I trust you will see your worth this morning to God. And you will see your unworthiness to receive Him. The guilt bearer took upon Him our guilt. The judge took upon Him the defendant's crimes so that you might be forgiven and have a relationship with God. Does somebody need to get saved this morning? That's the message of the gospel. Today is the day of salvation. Don't waste this opportunity. You may not get another one. Let's pray.